In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Blue Wire. The Denver Nuggets select Michael Porter Jr. But I'm going to make sure that this pick is this organization's best pick they've ever made. Forrest inside. Jokic, Hello and welcome in to the Monday edition of the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I am your host, TJ McBride. Um, you can find me on Twitter at TJ McBride NBA. And this is going to be a fun show. Dan Favale had me on his show, which is also part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, to talk about all things Nuggets and to slander a few teams and to get into all kinds of different topics. And the conversation was so fun. I felt like my listeners must enjoy it too, because seriously, like, what a fun conversation that we had. Dan does great work for Bleacher Report. You can follow him all over the place. Let me get his Twitter handle real quick, because I suck and did not write it down. Um, but it's going to be a good show, because being able to talk with somebody who covers the entire league like Dan does, it allows me to be able to open up the conversation topics to a little bit bigger of a network. You can follow him at Dan Favale on Twitter. It's D-A-N-F-A-V-A-L-E. Um, great work, though. He's a writer for Bleacher Report. He's the he's the co-host of Hardwood Knox, the social media for Bleacher or for um, Blue Wire Pods as well. So the dude is a Blue Wire Pods maniac, and he is absolutely a joy to talk with and we got into a ton of stuff so that is going to be in the next segment you're going to hear about that after i tell you about indeed and then after you hear me and dan talk you're going to hear about bet online those are the two sponsors of the show they are the reason the show is going so thank you to both of them you're going to hear a whole lot more about them coming up in the very near future um also Make sure you go subscribe to American Prodigy, the Freddie Adu documentary made by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Phenomenal stuff. It's been flying up towards the tops of the ranks on iTunes for podcasts. It's a really, really, really good show, and I hope that you take some time to at least look into it. So like I said, this show is going to mostly be my conversation with Dan, but also the Nuggets just had their first actual real day of training camp. I say real day because they have had, I think, three days before this of quote-unquote training camp, but it was all 1v0 workouts. They were not able to get into any group activities. It was one player development coach with one player on one side of the court. That was it. So now the Nuggets are finally able, as of Sunday, well, I'm recording this Monday morning, the Nuggets are finally able to have group workouts and Michael Malone spoke afterwards we also had uh, Facundo Campazzo or who you'll hear me who you will hear me talk to as Faku not just Facundo um, that's the name he goes by I have a feeling you're going to hear a lot more of that going forward and we also spoke to Greg Whittington who is the Nuggets two-way contract player who was an absolute joy so before we get into the ad read for Indeed and before we get into my conversation with Dan I kind of just wanted to take a step back and talk about training camp because I feel like this is important it is a Nuggets focused show so 
So let's talk about what the Nuggets are doing. Uh, Michael Malone, first and foremost, started out by being asked if anybody was not able to take part in the group activities today. Um, he said that everyone participated in practice, but once they got to the live portion, uh, Will Barton sat out for precautionary reasons. This should make you nervous because Will Barton is the only other wing on the roster other than Michael Porter Jr., and he has he just missed the playoffs last year with a knee injury that was kind of um mystical. No one really knows exactly what happened with his knee. So we're kind of just waiting to see where Barton is at. Everything that we had heard from Monte Morris to Will himself to Jamal Murray to Michael Malone has been saying that he's healthy and ready to go. And again, that could be true. This could actually be just precautionary, but that does put up some red flags and some worry. So we'll have to wait and see, but Barton did not take part in the live workout, but did participate in practice. Uh, Malone also noted some of the roster turnover or the roster turnover. He showed actually a video, a seven minute video with one minute of highlights for each of the new guys today or Sunday. Today is now Monday, but that was kind of a cool way to like get everybody understood of what their games are like, see the highlights, get excited. And he finished with, of course, Facundo Campazzo, who, my God, the dude is just so much fun. And Michael Malone just cannot stop complimenting. Michael Malone went into such extreme detail into how much he loves Facu Campazzo. Um, he confirmed that him and Tim Connolly have loved him for years, called him a, quote, seamless fit into our culture, end quote. Um, he also said he has just insane fight and passion again quote his heart is just huge end quote um even spoke about his defense glowingly said he's a, again a you know quote a very good defensive player a disruptive defender end quote he really does value all of these like intangible skills that Facundo Campazzo brings but he also sees what he's able to do despite his size on the court said multiple times that if you judge Facundo Campazzo by his size that you have already lost essentially and he's right Facundo Campazzo is incredible he's probably the best guard not currently in the NBA until, of course, he signed with the Nuggets. Like, he is a legendary um, player internationally. So it was cool to see Malone just have so much excitement. Like, he was talking about his playmaking and said how when he gets depressed, he watches Facundo Campazzo highlights because they are just always bring a smile to your face. He called him a, quote, top five pick and roll player in the world, end quote, and also said, quote, if you don't have your eye on the ball, he will break your nose, end quote, talking about how the team needs to learn how to play with him. So the Facundo Campazzo part was just fun, man. Like, you could just tell Malone loves this guy. And is so ready to see how he can find a way to incorporate him into this team. And then, to lead into the next point, which became the offensive topic of conversation, I think this is very important to the inclusion of Facundo Campazzo in the actual rotation. Malone wants to be more dynamic on offense. They were top five last year, but Malone said they can be better and it wasn't enough. They want to get to the rim more, they want to take more threes, want to take more free throws, and take less mid-range looks. He specifically noted more corner threes, not so many above the break threes. Uh, then, as an example, he went back and spoke about Nikola Jokic's second year and how the Nuggets played offensively back then. So, Malone knows that there needs to be an offensive um, resurgence in Denver. I don't know if it's going to be their calling card necessarily because Malone straight up laughed when asked if they were going to become a more offensively focused team and joked that they were going to put up 130 every night. But 
clearly Malone knows that they need to get more dynamic on offense, and that's good to see. Um, defensively, in terms of losing Jeremy Grant, Mason Plumley, Torrey Craig, Malone spoke about how Denver might be able to overcome those losses. Spoke about Jamal Murray showing his growth in the bubble and the consistency he showed on defense and how he is expecting that of him. Also spoke about how good Gary Harris's defense is and how he is still here in Denver. How both Millsap and Jermichael Green are going to be incredibly important for the back-end rotation, or for the back line, I should say, not back in rotation, literally the back line of the defense to be able to clean things up, but also noted the entire team needs to take a step forward across the board. He then admitted something very fascinating. He admitted that they're going to have to get creative. He talked about pressing up way more and being more aggressive. Talked about playing some more zone. Talked about trying to get some bowl bowl minutes at the five and let him block shots and become that kind of a... Uh, uh, deterrent at the rim. So the fact that Malone is willing to play with this roster to find a way to get the most out of it, even if he doesn't fully get there, it's encouraging to see that he's already playing with these ideas. We'll have to wait and see where they end up. But still, Malone knows that this is a funky team and he's willing to play it a funky way if that's how if that's what it takes to win basketball games. And I think that's a very important indication to get from Michael Malone for where this team is headed down the line. Uh, let's get to Faku now. Faku spoke to Denver, it, uh, the Denver media. There wasn't much here. I'm not going to like sit here and pretend like there was some incredible interview. Uh, Facundo Campazzo is still learning um, where his role is, what he's supposed to be doing. Um, so this interview was very vague. It was very uh, bare bones. And uh, honestly, half of it was in Spanish. So I need to brush up on my Spanish. But um, it was cool. He was just so happy to be in Denver and to have fans reaching out to him and to be in the NBA. Called it. He called himself a little kid right Right now because he was so excited about it um, says he can play with or without another point guard is just ready to prove himself and clearly is just ready to have a good time like he's excited to be able to show what he can do at the NBA level I know it's a very short amount of, uh, of uh, Facundo Campazzo but if you want more go back and listen to my last podcast because Lord did I go into great detail as, as um in terms of how good Facundo Campazzo can be. Uh, last, Greg Whittington spoke, which was cool, because Greg Whittington, two-way contract player, I think he might actually carve out some minutes for himself. Um, he came to Denver specifically, he said, because two-way deals always work out well in Denver. Thought that was fascinating, because it's true. Brandon Goodwin, even Devon Akun Purcell, who's playing overseas, got a much better overseas contract after playing for the Nuggets. Uh, Brandon Goodwin's currently in Atlanta. Monte Morris, Torrey Craig is playing for the Milwaukee Bucks. Like, there's a lot of two-way contract players who have come through Denver improved, grown, and found a better opportunity for themselves than before the two-way contract. So to see Greg Whittington look at that reality and make that his um, focus and understand that that's his best path to being able to play NBA basketball consistently, that was cool. It was encouraging. It's what you want to see that Denver is doing the right things to attract more talent. Um, he also brought up the fact that his favorite part so far is that the entire team feels like a family, even from the get. Like, they, it was a brotherhood is what he kept calling it. And that just speaks volumes about this Nuggets culture. And that's just a really cool thing to be able to bring in the limelight is that even though it's a two-way guy who probably won't play much, who no one's ever heard of, never seen play before, he feels like he's part of the family despite being um, more of an outsider than, than the majority of the people on the roster. Um, also, just one of the happiest people I've ever fucking seen in my life. The dude couldn't take a smile off his face um it was really enjoyable like it was I, I tweeted this it was just a joy to be able to interview him because like he's just he's blessed he's excited he's happy he's smiling the whole time willing to get to work like it's just a very um happy environment to be able to talk to a guy like that 
Um, also said he's ready to uh, show what he can do as a scorer and a versatile defender. Said he has the physical ability to defend four positions, which he's not quite there yet, but that's not out of the realm of possibility, and that he can score from anywhere on the court, which I do agree with. Um, this is a smart dude. Like people, uh, I think the player that I keep hearing the most that he's compared to, and also I think Harrison Wind of DNVR already tweeted this, um, is Wancho Hernan Gomez. A lot of people compare him to Wancho, but he's more physically gifted in terms of his ability to get in the stance and play defense than Wancho is. Uh, also said he wants to be in Denver for the next five to seven years, which I thought was a really cool little addition to his press conference. You don't hear that very often, so it was cool to hear that. Um, also, I wanted to outline his path to the league real quick because he outlined it, and I think it's insane. Um, started in the G League after going undrafted, played for Sioux Falls. Then he went to Australia. Then he went to Japan. Then he went to Israel. Then he went to Turkey, where he said players uh, drink coffee and smoke cigarettes before games. So I have found my new home. And then now he has ended up with the Denver Nuggets. So what a path to be able to get here. Uh, Nuggets fans are going to love this guy. That's the one thing that I know without a shadow of a doubt. But... That's basically the first day of training camp. That's how it went. That's what was understood. That's what was told. That's how the interviews went. Now we're going to take our first quick break. And then on the other end, we're going to have my conversation with Dan Favale of Bleacher Report and the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Twenty twenty has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every single hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer is valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. TJ. Welcome to your first appearance on the Hardwood Knox podcast. It's taken way too long for me to bother you considering how long you have been a part of uh, Blue Wire Pod specifically, but how are you doing today? I'm good, man. Mandalorian was amazing. I have coffee in my hand and I'm on the right side of the dirt, so I'm in a good mood today. (laughs) The right side of the dirt. That's a great way to give an update on how you're doing. Uh, My hot take is I am like Star Wars ignorant to the upteenth degree. I've seen... The original seven, like, once yeah. each, and that's just it. I didn't board, like, I haven't seen the new ones. I haven't watched Mandalorian. Nothing. So what's funny is I was like you. Like, the most casual, I don't care about Star Wars individual. Like, yeah, the movies are fun. They were, like, fun Marvel movies. Not a whole lot to it. Pandemic hit, and I had nothing to do in Disney+, Plus, and suddenly I love Clone Wars. I love Rebels. I'm, like, ordering books. Like, I have become a Star Wars mega nerd. Oh, in the wow. Past eight 
well, there's not a whole lot to do. There's a lot of sitting and staring at the television. So, like, <laughs> so I definitely fell into this whole samurai western crazy Star Wars <laughs> universe that I am now a part of. So here I am. There are much worse ways you could be spending um, downtime in the pandemic. That is true. Maybe that by, like, true. living your life as if nothing's going on, which seems to be happening with increasing frequency. Especially, I'm in the Midwest, man. You're in New York. I'm sure you see it, too. But the Midwest got the whole, like, we're stronger than the coronavirus thing going on out here, and it is not my vibe. Uh, yeah, I'm on, like, yeah, I think people, like, I'm in the worst, not the worst part, but I'm on Long Island in New York. So, like, there's a lot of that going on here because it's it's very red where I am, I think is the best yep. way to put it. Um, that is a very clear way. <laughs> Um, I did bring you on to talk Nuggets, though. Their offseason was more eventful than I thought it was going to be, mostly because of Jeremy Grant. So I think the best place to start before getting a little bit more granular was just looking at everything that happened. Um, you know, them getting R.J. Hampton, losing Grant. Um, they re-signed Millsap. They have Jermichael Green, who is one of my, as Zach Lowe calls them, siren songs. Um, mm-hmm. Jermichael Green is a siren song of mine. Uh, what was your just general impression of the Nuggets offseason? Anything you really liked, shocked by, disliked? Um, I, I really, you, my initial takeaway after learning how these things kind of played out over that week and a half of chaos of the offseason, I felt bad for Denver. I know that's like a weird way to look at this, but they really, really wanted to get on the Drew Holiday conversation. And they were. They were one of the finalists for Drew Holiday until Milwaukee just came out and dropped everything they owned on the table. So like, all of a sudden, Robert Covington was not a guy you can pursue. Kelly Oubre is not a guy you can pursue. You can't get involved in those trade conversations. So, okay, let's pivot. Things happen. Sometimes guys are going to offer five first-round picks for somebody, and you just can't match the deal. So they move on to Jeremy Grant, who, again, every expectation from Jeremy Grant's camp, from the Nuggets camp, was we're going to find a way to get a deal done. We were a Western Conference Finals team. He was arguably the third most important player for our organization. We need to get Jeremy Grant back here, and Jeremy Grant seemed to want to. Then Troy Weaver called, someone who had connections to who scouted him back to, back during his Syracuse days, convinced him to come. And this is the part that's crazy to me. Despite Jeremy Grant's own agent advising him to stay in Denver, despite oh. the same money still being offered by Denver, despite the Western Conference Finals one that they went on last season. Despite all of that, Jeremy Grant wanted to bet on himself. And again, that ruined Denver because operating as an above the cap team, because Jeremy Grant signed for 20 million doesn't mean you just have 20 million to spend all of a sudden. Denver only had their mid-level, only had the biannual and veteran minimums. So they had to pivot and find a way to make this work. So overall, watching the way that transpired, Denver did everything right and everything still went wrong. And that is just so deflating, I'm sure, after everything they accomplished this past season for it to go that way. So that was like my immediate reaction when I took a step back and looked at everything that had happened. Yeah, the and I listened to you uh, listen to your podcast when you like did the crossover with the uh, Pistons versus everyone pod mm-hmm. and Laz Jackson. I love Laz. Yeah, he's he's awesome. Um, I'll be pestering him soon, just in case he's listening to this. Um, <laughs> I I don't I respect the bet that Jeremy Grant made. I think it I think it was dumb. And I listened to you like kind of justify how maybe he has more to offer um, as an offensive player. I tried. When you look at Detroit's roster, just with the crimped spacing, I think it's going to be a disaster for him. And I'll be shocked if he even like continues to hit the same percentage of his catch-and-shoot threes that he did in Denver and his final season in OKC. 
Yeah, two things there. Playing alongside someone not named Nikola Jokic is very different than playing alongside Nikola Jokic, and he's about to learn that in a very, very big way. The second thing is, I agree with you. I am all for guys betting themselves, but this feels a whole lot more like being at the tables in Vegas, and your buddy goes like all in on a terrible bet, and everyone's cheering anyway in excitement despite how terrible the bet is. Like, that is very much so how this feels to me. Like, everyone in the Nuggets organization is like happy for Jeremy. They want Jeremy to get the best possible situation for him that he can get they thought it was in denver and still believe it is in denver but jeremy didn't and when guys make that decision it's called free agency for a reason and i'm happy he made his own decision but this might nip him pretty quick this might be a very tough decision like ben gordon said in that infamous interview those were the worst years of my life being in detroit and i wonder if there's a sense of like this might not go very well but i hope it does yeah, there's uh, man. They have. Let's assume Blake Griffin is healthy, and that's a that's kind of a <laughs> yeah. leap in itself. Yeah. They have maybe three above average shooters on this team with Blake Griffin. You have Shvi. Uh I wouldn't even throw Wayne Ellington in there anymore, just based off how he's been over the like. like maybe, but it's Sidney terrifying Bay. that you have to. Right. <laughs> like that's the problem. Like the fact that we even have to include him in this conversation of spacing is damning. Yeah, and so. I'll be interested to see how it plays out. I did see, and I think this is natural, like once he left, there were people trying to downplay the departure where it's like, well, now they don't have that money committed to him, which it's probably an overpay like relative to what like someone who is just basically 3 and D. But when you're the Nuggets and you already have your top two players, when you just went to the Western Conference Finals, um, when you've also taken like these cheaper gambles elsewhere, like if Bo Ball hits, uh, Michael Porter Jr. looks like he's going to hit. Uh that's fine to pay Jeremy Grant that money. Way more justifiable than the Pistons, in mm-hmm. in my opinion. But I, they pointed to, like, the on-off defensive splits for him, where Denver was so much worse. And it seems, just for me, afar, when you look at, like, a lot of the lineups he was in, it feels like those were detrimental to that. But I'm just wondering if... Thank o- you. I'm wondering if overall, like, what how you would explain that. Is, like, that the correct way to look at this? Because I dug into the yes, lineups and I was yes, like, oh, this is... This is a rough lineup. (laughs) People forget, like, people just want to look and be like, wow, in the playoffs, he was really good, but his numbers over the whole season are bad. There's so much more nuance to on-off splits than that. He was playing off the bench with a bench unit that had no idea what they were doing for the first couple months of the season. Like, they were an abject disaster on that end of the floor. And I'm sorry, your defensive numbers on a bench unit not guarding the elite players in the NBA when that's your skill set is not going to be indicative of the kind of defender you are. So... While I like to hope, as a Nuggets point of view, that those numbers are actually true, I don't buy into them at all. There's a lot of other factors that play into this. What I will say is that, yeah, the rebounding is a big issue. Is he really going to be able to create off the bounce? Because there were a lot of difficulties there in the playoffs. I actually believe it's possible, but you're... 18 months away with with a lot of reps before he actually becomes that like Pascal Siakam archetype not that level of player but that archetype of player so I don't know what this is going to look like I hate that Detroit roster the way it's currently constructed and I don't think it's going to do anything to make Jeremy Grant look good but to at least give Troy Reaver some credit even if Jeremy Grant looks terrible and they get into the third year of this deal and they get to the trade deadline, there are going to be a line of contenders who still want to try and trade for him. This is not necessarily circumstances to where a completely negative asset for them despite the contract, but there it's still very confusing. I've I've actually thought about that because you know he has like this. It's um I don't even know what it starts at. I forgot to look at it, but like so it's like twenty million annually on average. 
there will be like contenders that want him. And there are like a lot of kind of like sizable expirings out there. Like it could even be this season where maybe it's not working out. Like he doesn't, he's not, he's just not playing well. Detroit's going nowhere because that's, that's just definitely where they're headed. They're not, I, even if Blake Griffin's healthy, I don't know that I would pick them to make the playoffs or the play in. So I could see like a scenario where he's like, doesn't even finish this season with the Pistons. That would be wild. If they are able to flip him for like a first round pick, that would be actually like a very shrewd move overall because there's a lot of contending teams if they can get the salary to match to where he is a legitimate upgrade for them going into the playoffs. So we'll have to see. Again, I think Troy Weaver has some idea of what he's doing. I don't think he's like, we're going to have all bigs. Like, I don't think that's like the vision of the Pistons because all they have on their books in three years is Mason Plumley, Jeremy Grant, and all of their picks so that's fine that's exactly what you want to do as a rebuilding team it's just very confusing this year in a vacuum yeah look still i'm the mason Plumley contract just i will defend that one i i did this on laz's podcast please defend it but i want to say where i'm coming from is like if you're gonna spend money on Plumley, guarantee um jaleel okafor's contract uh i would rather spend the little bit extra that it would have costed to have had christian wood that's all they obviously know more about him than me having had him all year that's where I think it looks a lot worse. And I think if you look at other big man contracts in Mason Plumlee's defense, knowing what he could do as a passer, how he's just like his, his IQ for the game in the half court seems like it's just, it's really there. The, the salary isn't egregious, but for the Detroit roster and then given the primary alternative though, that's where I think the huge miss was. And then yes, in the moment when they still had Dwayne Dedman, when it looked like they had a jillion bigs, Tony Bradley was on the roster. It also looked pretty damning. This is what I said on Pistons vs. Everybody. It is truly laughable, and it is worth all of the jokes that it has gotten for that contract from Mason Plumley. But when you look closer at it, he is the perfect big for all of their young guards and young guys on the roster, from Sadiq Bey all the way through. He is the guy who will roll hard, set great screens, dive for 50-50 balls, do whatever he can on defense to cover up for your rookie mistakes. Like, I can't even count the number of times that Michael Porter Jr. got obliterated on the perimeter, and Mason Plumley appeared from nowhere to save him from looking like... A complete lost puppy on defense. So those kinds of things are going to be hyper important to a Detroit roster or Detroit Pistons roster who needs to start developing the right habits. And he's going to do it all with a smile on his face. This is a guy who was a starter on a playoff team in Portland, came to back up Nikola Jokic, and he did everything he could to make that team the best version of themselves. So the Mason Plumlee part, like again, in a vacuum, everything else around it makes it look way funnier than the actual deal is. But I think that he is probably going to be looked at as the more productive contract than Jeremy Grant in the long run. That's I think that's fair. Um, and he, again, will make a lot more sense on the roster when it looks like they're bottoming out because you yeah. want solid veterans who are willing to play on bad teams. So if you trade, let's say Griffin's healthy and you move him, there's no way Derrick Rose finishes the season in Detroit. Yes. Um, they need to clear the runway for Killian Hayes there, another below-average shooter at the moment. But yes. um, so having that presence there where I think like Let's just look at Oklahoma City for a second. You don't, I don't think George Hill and Al Horford are going to be particularly excited to be there if they have to finish the season there, and Horford probably has to. To bring this back to the Nuggets, though, Grant is the type of player for them that seems like way more important in the playoffs because of how their um, run into the conference finals and into the NBA finals like has to go. Who do those like bigger wing assignments now fall to? Like I look at the <laughs> roster, and look, because even Torrey Craig in that aspect is like, yes. okay, he's gone. 
So now I don't even have like an easy default option because I think you can pretty easily make the case that Gary Harris is their best perimeter defender now, but Mm -hmm. he doesn't have like the size or the length to match up with the guys that Jeremy Grant and even Torrey Craig were going up against. They lost. So of their four best defenders, Gary Harris, Jeremy Grant, Mason Plumlee, Torrey Craig, they lost three of them. And one of them has been more injured than he has not been going forward. So we have absolutely no idea what the, what the defensive identity of this team is anymore. None. Zero. This is why I have completely removed the nuggets from the true contending tier in the NBA Western Conference. Like, I just don't think that they're in that category anymore. They're in that Dallas, uh, Phoenix, Portland, Utah grouping all of a sudden because they just don't have that ability to match up. And you have to be able to match up with Jumbo Wings in this version of the NBA playoffs. So I have no idea. To be honest with you, there isn't a right answer. They're going to hope Gary Harris can do it. They're going to hope Michael Porter Jr. takes a leap. Maybe Bull Bull is something. Maybe P.J. Dozier carves out a role. But there's an, it's not enough. They're, they don't have enough current big perimeter defenders who can be a three and D big. Like that's become a hyper fascinating role in the NBA. These three and D bigs who defend all over the floor and are willing to do whatever it takes and fill in all those gaps. They don't have that. And there's like six dudes who can fill that role in the NBA. So maybe Zeke Naji is already more prepared than we <laughs> thought, but like, that's really where Denver is at. They like, don't even have the, the idea of the players like between six, yeah. seven and six, nine. Like they just don't even have those guys. Will like Barton and... is their only backup small forward. Like that's where they're at in terms of the wing situation now. Um, this is uh, not to give people a reason not to listen to this podcast, but like I feel like talking about Nikola Jokic gets boring because he's so known. Like he's an entertaining player, but what are we debating about Nikola Jokic anymore? There's he's, nothing to debate, right? Right. Um, it seems like what could make this team at least the level of threat it became last year. And full disclosure, I and it was publicized. I got so much shit for it. Um, I picked the Nuggets to win the title this past year before the season nice. started. Um, it looked a lot better when they made it to the Western Conference Finals, but that's a pick that I did not stick with as the year went on. <laughs> but for them to be at that like same, like get into the Western Conference Finals conversation, it feels like the clear, I know people might focus on Michael Porter Jr. or Gary Harris, like having an offensive conscience for the entire season, but it feels like it's Jamal Murray. If he is the, like, he's not going to be, there's no way he's going to score like he did um, in the bubble at points. But if he's like kind of had the breakthrough to, Hey, he's an actual star now, like the top 25 to 35 guy. That might be their path back to being, I would say, at least as dangerous in the regular season. I still don't know about the playoffs yeah. um, just because the defensive matchups will matter there. But what is what are you going into the season like looking at um, from Jamal Murray or, or expecting or just wondering about? There's just one word, and this has been the word for the past three years, consistency. Can you do what you did in the bubble? Can you do it in November when it's cold in Minnesota? Like, can these things become something that you can rely on? Can you know you're going to get 18-4-4 every single night from Jamal? Right now, that is still a question to be solved. We have no idea. We saw him do what he did in the bubble, which was out of this world. Like, I had no idea that Jamal Murray would not only become Michael Jordan-level scorer, but be defending like he did, right. to be bodying dudes in the pick and roll and creating passing angles, to be finishing at the rim the way he did. Like, all of those leaps were way more important to me than the scoring because he got hot. Like, everybody got hot in that bubble. There wasn't a soul who shot worse in the bubble compared to the regular season. So, like... I'm trying to remove the scoring aspects to a degree. There was no fans, endless sight lines. It was amazing for a shooter. But the defense, the playmaking, the added strength from the hiatus, those are things that are absolutely going to go forward and actually help the Nuggets. But I don't think that's what you need to be able to 
get to that next level in the playoffs. He doesn't fix the biggest issues the Nuggets now have. And the only way you can fix the biggest issues that they now have is to find a player outside of your roster who can do it. And unless Michael Porter Jr. takes a leap that literally nobody sees coming, including the Nuggets organization, which will not put that pressure on him, they're not going to be like, Michael Porter Jr., we need you to be third team all defense. Like, (laughs) you can't do that. You know what I mean? But you need that kind of caliber of player at that position to be able to contend in the Western Conference Finals right now. So... I don't think that Jamal Murray will hurt them. I think he will get better. And I think that they could actually potentially win more regular season games. But I don't think that it's going to translate to playoff success. There's, I guess the one element where scoring could really, if he's more consistent, like as an off-the-bounce scorer in crunch time, where Nicole Jokic has been like one of the best crunch time players for two or three years now, yeah. to now have Murray on top of that, if there's a level of consistency there, I think what's still the memory that typifies his entire career arc to me is that was it 2008, the Spurs series? Was that 2019, 2018, yeah. whatever that was? Yeah. Where he, like, he won them two games, but, like, lost them one and a half games. Like, that was the that was the Jamal Murray experience to me in a nutshell. Yes. Man, I will never forget that game, too. He was, like, 0 of 13 or, like, 1 of 12 or something entering the fourth quarter, and then he scored 18 in the fourth and won the Nuggets the game. And if they <laughs> lose that, if they lose game two at home with home court advantage after being down 0 to 1 of the Spurs, like, you had in the first round. Round. That's it. Well, maybe not the Nuggets. They do like winning from 3-1 comebacks. But regardless of that, this is beyond <laughs> that. This is before. I don't think that you win that series. But at the same time, honestly, that series changed because they put Gary Harris on Derek White. Derek White was just abusing Jamal Murray. It didn't matter. Derek White had 32 points in game yeah, two. Yeah, he was volcanic in that series. Yeah, destroying Jamal. And that's why when I talk about this playoffs, his, his defensive performance in this playoffs was like, exponentially better than I had ever seen him play for an extended amount of time. And that's probably the most important thing to me. But yeah, he was um, a volatile character in that first playoff run for the Denver Nuggets of this iteration of their franchise. You mentioned Michael Porter Jr. before and how Denver's being realistic about his expectations this year. So what are those expectations? Like, is he going to not even a, you know, will he start? Do you think he'll be a closing lineup staple? Does it all come down to how well he plays on on defense, like, because that seemed to dictate his playing time this past year was how, I don't want to say good, but, like, when he wasn't, like, actively hurting them on defense, like, he was allowed to play. Is it still, like, that type of situation? I don't know, because, again, like, this is the hardest part about the time of COVID. I'm not there watching where he's playing in these runs. I'm not able to talk to Coach in person and see how he reacts to these things. Like, things are so different now, it's hard to get a gauge on it. What I will say is this. If Michael Porter Jr. does not start and he does not get the reps he needs to start developing himself to play at this caliber of basketball, the Nuggets are done. They are well aware. Like, Tim Connolly called it uh, a poorly kept secret that they need Michael Porter Jr. to take a leap this year because all of their eggs are now in his basket. They could have forced, they could have gotten Drew Holiday if they put Porter on the table, I bet. They could have traded for almost anyone in basketball that is, you know, that is arguably available for trade if they included Michael Porter Jr. They didn't. They lost Jeremy Grant. They lost Torrey Craig. They lost Mason Plumley. You got to show out now because every little bit of their hope for the future is is predicated on him becoming something that he was not last year. And he was good last year, but the consistency, the ability to fit within a team construct, the defensive attention to detail, all of those things are now the most important things for Michael Porter Jr. and the Nuggets. So he is the pivot point. If everything is going to revolve around his development this season in terms of where the Nuggets can end up by the end of it. There's like, what's sort of weird about that is I feel like he could be, in, like, 
let's say play 25 to 30 minutes a game, like be the same like offensive weapon in a nutshell that he was last season. And I actually don't know how much it ends up moving the needle for Denver because that's not, they're not going to have a problem doing those things with or without him. And like, yeah, I mean, he was, I forget what the exact number was, but I remember right about like he had an insanely high effective field goal percentage late in the shot clock. So yeah, there's always going to be like, that's going to have super value. But unless he's like going to be a good defender, I don't know how far he can push this, this team and so I'm just curious like do you see there, there were plays where for me watching like a couple games where it felt like he was making like some pretty what I felt like were I don't want to say like solid rotation they were like better than average rotations where it felt like he was anticipating things off the ball but like he was like were they frequent enough for you to believe that he'll ever be a good defender or are you like kind of more on the pessimistic view of it because I have zero feel for what you can expect from Michael Porter Jr. defensively moving forward. So he did have some like legitimately like NBA quality rotations defensively. And like um, running joke on Twitter is me turning to Matt Moore during Nuggets games and being like, you see the tools that Michael Porter Jr. has on defense? Like you see how good that could potentially be? Because there is like the physical ability of Michael Porter Jr. is devastating defensively. He's so agile in terms of of, of being a perimeter defender because his hips actually do move that he can get into passing lanes. He can swallow dudes up. He can just get wide and contain on the perimeter, but he can also rotate from the weak side and block shots like to have a wing who can do both of those things is so hyper rare in this nba setting but my question is this is porter gonna get so good offensively he just stops caring about defense Mm -hmm. this has always been my question because and credit to michael malone i think that michael malone deserves way more respect for the way he has handled michael porter jr because if you don't instill these defensive principles now he will never get them because he is that gifted offensively like you said just a stupid effective field goal percentage at the end of the shot clock he is one of the most gifted shot makers from anywhere on the court off the bounce off the catch that is in basketball right now he is a god-given talent in that regard but is he ever going to care about defense enough? If he gets too good offensively, I think all of a sudden you see him start to stop caring about the rest <laughs> of it. But I'm sorry, like, that is really where I fall on this. So hopefully Michael Malone is just drilling this kid again because if they don't get that defensive impact from him, you're not winning, even if he averages 25 and 12 a night. Yeah, and so um, I'm wondering, the other player that I have this like sort of same question about is Gary Harris. I know injuries have like dogged him basically the past two seasons and he did his three point clip. I think when you look from like February onward was like, it was good, but he's just been such a roller coaster on offense to the point where it's felt like he just even shouldn't be on the floor at times and hasn't been on the floor at times that the nuggets would need him. Like, is there like, I I don't want to say is there pressure on him because there's pressure on everyone every season, but you're reaching the point where it almost feels like if he's not the Gary Harris, he was when they signed him to the extension. Like, is there even, like, how big of a point is there in, in them keeping him? Like, where they shouldn't actively be looking to move him at that point. It feels like that's the type of the season that he's entering now. Yeah, I just don't know what asset will be out there for you to get for him. Like, are you going to trade a negative asset in Gary Harris and move something with him just to move off the money? Like, I just don't think Denver's going to get to that point with Gary. Plus, he's the longest tenured Nugget on the roster. They adore Gary Harris as an individual. They want him in a Nuggets uniform for the long haul. But again, now they're at the point now where they have to start asking the questions that you were posing. Is he able to actually even play enough? And when he does play, will he even be efficient enough? The most glaring, brutal stat that I had last year was pre-All-Star break 
break, which again was only like the entire regular season minus 10 games. <laughs> so it was virtually the entire regular season. Um, Gary Harris was one of two starters in basketball to shoot under 40% from the field and under 20% from three. Awesome. Justice Winslow, who played 12 games, and Gary Harris, who was playing 30 minutes a night. Like, you cannot be the least efficient starter in all of basketball if you're going to earn minutes and have trade value going forward. It cannot happen. And then he gets injured again with his lower body with his lower body stuff that he keeps having. He now has, if I remember correctly, 15 lower body injuries, 14 Whoa. in the last, like, 30 months. Wow. Like, I didn't realize the number was that high. It was foot, hamstring, shin. Then he had like an ankle issue. Then it was the core issue. It, 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 it's it's literally nonstop. Like I've always had this perspective that it was very similar to Terrence Ross earlier in his career. He was lifting like a football player, trying to jump out of the gym with all that weight, and the lower body just couldn't handle it. Gary Harris could have been an all-pro NFL receiver. He was recruited to play both football and basketball at Notre Dame. So like he could have been a megatron caliber receiver so the dude in terms of his size jumping like that i can see why it doesn't hold up very well so everything is going to be a big deal with gary harris no one's going to put their eggs in that basket but if gary harris becomes the gary harris of 16 17 the nuggets go right back up into that status in my opinion there's nobody's willing to bet on that right now yeah and i mean you're not going to move him as i think the idea of him is still like his contract wouldn't be super tough to move but you're right with the two years and whatever it is left remaining that's not going to be like a positive value in a deal and it's interesting you mentioned that they could have gotten drew holiday and they included michael porter jr i'm curious as to if they could have got there's no way they would have gotten drew holiday if that milwaukee offer was on the table and they were including michael porter jr and so yeah, it's like yeah. to have like that and i think part of that is because gary harris is i mean milwaukee gave up all the picks but like when you're moving gary harris in a deal like that it's now it's more so for salary matching than it is as like a value play because you don't want to exactly. pay Gary Harris two years and thirty nine point six million in a vacuum. And and the other hard part is when teams call when they go, when they try to salary match they're like what about Will Barton instead of Gary and Denver's like no like we want to hold on to Will Barton we believe in Will Barton we want him to play and that's a fascinating part of the discussion is everybody could call him for Will but they keep trying to pitch Gary it's and again it seems like this is not necessarily something that like is happening with every single trade call but this has happened here and there and that's a tough place to be as Denver and that's not a good situation for Gary Harris to be in. Yeah, and um, that was one of my questions is so who's like more important useful whatever to this team like it like if they want to be a contender next season is it now officially will yeah and i mean the season his season last year was like verging on unreal um no people don't realize how great will barton was for this nuggets team during the regular season last year like he was he he picked up the tyreek uh the tyreek oh who was it Tyreek Evans, I almost forgot his name. I haven't talked about him in so long. The Tyreek Evans mantle of the only dude who plays under 30 minutes a game who's averaging like 18, 6, and 5. Like, he is just a walking production. Like, he always finds a way to get you what you need. But my thing is, I look back on that Lakers series that they had in the Western Conference Finals. If Anthony Davis does not hit that game winner, which, let's be honest, those are all coin flips. If that does not fall, Denver had two other games and, and they did it without Will Burton, without being able to reverse the court. They were running Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, pick and roll, dribble, handoff till the sun died. And everybody knew it was coming and you couldn't get the ball to the other end of the court to run any other offense. So if they had Will Barton, a six foot six, 
slashing guard who can also shoot from three off the bounce or off the catch, can use a pick or doesn't need a pick to get downhill, attacking a bent defense, that changes the entire complexion of that series, in my opinion. So Will Barton is one of the most underrated picks for most improved player or comeback player of the year, I think, this year, because he, the Nuggets are going to need everything from him. They don't have the depth at the wing position. They might not have the health at the guard position. So Will is going to be asked to do a lot, and his defense took a significant step forward last year as it is rebounding. Yeah, I could not believe, because he was so injured too, like um, the season before this one, uh, this past one, I couldn't believe how much better he looked on defense. Like that was pr- it was probably the best defense he played in his career. I'm not like too oh familiar God. with how he was in Portland, but it easily seems like that in Denver. It's and I wonder if they get to like I don't think you could turn to him and be like you know what you're going to be the one that has to defend these wings now. But it seems like if if the discrepancy in value between him and Gary Harris remains this large, like Denver might just get to a point where it feels like you know what Paul Millsap. Insofar as you're healthy, you're a defensive anchor, and then we're just going to have Barton, Porter Jr., Murray, Jokic around you, and, like, we're going to lean into to offense, and that might just be how they have to, I don't want to say, like, win every game, but, like, that's going to, offense is going to have to be their identity more so than it's ever been during this and Jokic And Michael era. Malone cries as you say this. <laughs> and, like, that's the like that's one thing that's going to be fascinating. Michael Malone has always been a topic of, it's a, polar, it's a polarizing topic amongst fans. Every coach in the NBA is a polarizing topic amongst fans, but... Michael Malone's a defensive first guy. Like, he's been trying that forever. And now, you have to try and find to get the best offense out of this roster in order to win games. Is Michael Malone going to pick up to do that? Um, it's going to be fascinating. But the, it's going to be... Another thing I wanted to add to the Will Barton portion of this... Jeremy Grant was not asked to defend the elite wings in the NBA during the regular season when things started. He was playing off the bench guarding power forwards. That was, that was what happened. Will Barton was the one taking LeBron James, backing him down in the post. It was Will Barton who was really doing his absolute best. He wasn't great at it, but the effort, the intensity, the length, and the fight was all there to at least make it somewhat more difficult. So again, if we're trying to pretend like we have any idea what a closing lineup would look like against a team like the Lakers, I'd probably put Will on LeBron. I'd probably put Jermichael Green or Paul Millsap on Anthony Davis, and that's kind of how the Nuggets are going to have to match up. Yeah, I remember when I was looking, um, when I was doing the outline for this podcast, I was looking at the matchup data for, like, some of the Nuggets' other wings and was surprised to see, like, how much time Barton had spent on, like, a Jason Tatum. Um, Yeah. So... I guess he's going to have to do more, more of that and this season. And he'll accept it. He loves the battle. Like, you want to throw me the toughest dudes in the league. I'm like, like he's like an old school, play on concrete courts, pick up maniac. And if he gets that opportunity, he loves that opportunity. So I do anticipate seeing quite a bit of that this season. Uh, this is going to be a question that's very near and dear to uh, Adam from Ell's heart here. But what do them, you know, giving up an asset to get RJ Hampton now, where they essentially said, you know what, you're more valuable than this um, distant first pick, first round pick, um, and they have Campazzo. What does this say about, like, Monte Morris, who is now in a contract year? Is I think it's he's one of, I, I don't want to, I have to go through the list of backup point guards, but he's top three backup point guards in the oh, league, sure. without question. Sure. Um, does this infer anything about, how they view his future in Denver? No, it does not. Um, Denver wanted to have more playmakers. They were abundantly aware of how um, at a disadvantage they were in the playoffs, only having two dudes on the same side of the court who can create for others. They were. It was so, so, so obvious to them. So the RJ Hampton pick too, by the way, 
That has nothing to do with this season. Not a damn thing. The Nuggets now have a young core for their young core. So like that's what Tim Connolly is doing with that one. Like you got Zeke Naji, RJ Hampton, um, and Bull Bull basically there to back up your new, you know, your actual young core of guys that you have now. So RJ Hampton has nothing to do with Monte Morris, nothing to do with Facundo Campazzo. It was a best player available pick on a team that does not need him right away that they can slowly bring along to potentially be the ideal shooting guard for this team in three, four years. Um, Monte Morris, though, everything I've heard is the Nuggets want to get an expansion done with him. They want Monte in Denver. They are well aware of how valuable he is around the league as well. There are a handful of teams that would start Monte right now, including Detroit, by the way. (laughs) Right away out of the gate. But... Monte Morris is valuable. Denver does not want to get rid of him, and they're going to play him. Even if Facundo Campazzo is coming off the bench with him and they're playing 5-11-6-1 backcourt, they're cool with it. Let's get the playmakers. Let's see how it fits, and let's run with it. So Monte is a part of this team until uh, until I have heard otherwise, which I have not. Every intention is they want to keep Monte in Denver. He's probably their second or third most attractive trade asset yeah. behind Michael Porter Jr., depending on how you feel about you know, I think the allure of, you know, you don't have to pay R.J. Hampton for a while was just, you know, was just drafted. Like, he might just be up there. Maybe some people are really in love with Bull Bull or something. But there he, are a handful of teams that are, like, real in on Bull Bull. <laughs> so, yes, I would still say, like, second or third behind him, like, Michael Porter Jr. And so if they do make a – and that's probably a question for later, so I won't step on that. But Adam will be happy to hear that this yeah. does not su- imply anything sinister that Monte Morris will no longer be playing in the state of – of Colorado, and you already answered this really, but so RJ Hampton is just, we shouldn't really expect to see him get a crack at all this year. I, the only way I see him playing is because Denver's resting everybody to start the year because they just got back from the bubble, and they're like, screw it, let the kid play. Like, that's the only real reason that I see him playing legitimate minutes. If he gets, like, a legitimate rotation spot, something went very, very good or very, very bad, one way or another. So I don't anticipate it. It's not off the table, but no. He's going to be a G League player if the G League exists, however they figure that out. And that's kind of my envision of how his role will look. Yeah, if they can't figure out the G League stuff, that ends up being like really damaging for players in his situation where they're on a good team. And like, I, how are you going to get I want to push back on that. These two-way guys do not get to practice with their actual NBA team very often because they're trying to save the days. Well, didn't they? they only have so much. They changed it this yeah. year to 50 games. So, but what I'm thinking is if there's no G League, you're literally with the team every day, okay. practicing every day, getting work with the guys that you are eventually going to play with every day. I do wonder if there's a little bit of helpfulness to a lot of these guys who are almost in a player development year as opposed to getting real minutes against like the G League select team. I still feel like that actual game run where if you're going to go up against these guys in practice that they're probably not, and especially this season because of the truncated schedule, like how many of these guys are actually going to be practicing throughout the regular season, but yeah. that, that is really a good point. Um, I, forget, I forgot to ask this before moving off of Campazzo. The two questions I have is, one, is it actually legal to have him and Nikola Jokic on the court at the same time? Because I'm not sure. I don't care if it is. If that's <laughs> criminal, I'm a criminal and I'm happy to be here. Lock my ass up for talking about Facundo Campazzo and Nikola Jokic too much. There is, look, the hockey assist, like, highlight reel potential of this team now, like, if you, like, if they're both touching the ball in the same possession, oh, my God. <laughs> like, so I just recorded a podcast on Facundo Campazzo's best case scenario for this season, right? 
Just envision this. Jamal Murray, Facundo Campazzo starting backcourt because Gary Harris is not able to give you enough. Then you have Michael Porter Jr., Jamichael Green, and Nikola Jokic. So Porter blocks shot. Jokic grabs rebound, outlets to Campazzo on the break, who is now attacking a slanted defense on the move with Jamal Murray just scorching down the court without anybody to grab him. There are so many ways that you can just destroy any kind of defense in front of you by having Campazzo with that group. I really do wonder if Facundo Campazzo can fight for that starting shooting guard position. Wow. And if he does, oh boy, that's going to be fun. Well, that's what I was going to... Looking at his, I did I'm, I did not watch him. I, I've not watched a ton of like... I, I, I'm way too in on Facundo. So um, <laughs> it's only a good balance here. Uh, so you look at his three-point splits with Real Madrid. When I say they're all over the place, like I'm not... I'm not kidding. And they are all over the place. Does that concern you at all? Because if he's going to be in those lineups, he's going to have to be like, he's not going to, I don't know. I don't think he's going to be a great defender at the NBA level. And so you're going to, his value will be if he's playing with Jokic and Murray at the same time, there needs to be some off ball value there. And if, if he's not hitting like those, you know, standstill three pointers, that could end up being an issue, but that doesn't seem to concern you. You're shaking your head. It's not a big yeah, deal. Yeah, I'm not concerned. He was asked to take an extremely high level of difficulty shots with on Real Madrid in unopportune circumstances. They didn't have a whole lot of just like incredibly brilliant, gifted guys like that who can just go get their shot from anywhere on the court. And Facundo can do that. It's very similar to the Devin Harris three point shooting splits in Dallas. They were like Rick Carlisle was like, there's two for one. Devin Harris, go shoot it. Like, I don't care if you miss every single one of them. And it skews those numbers. And I really, really do wonder if that was at play here. Because it's he's not like an elite Seth Curry, Steph Curry three-point shooter. That's not what I'm trying to pitch here. The shot versatility is incredible. He can shoot off the bounce going left, right, or stepping in. He can shoot off the catch going left, right, jumping into a shot, stepping into a shot from a standstill. Whatever the versatility that you need as a shooter, he can bring. He is an incredible floater artist, knows how to get into the mid-range, is very creative finishing at the rim as well, and he has learned how to maximize his size and not make it an impediment to his game offensively. So... I very much so believe in his shooting, and I think it's going to look a lot better as a uh, complimentary player alongside Nikola Jokic than it ever did at being asked to create everything offensively for Real Madrid. The Nuggets clearly like believe in him too because you give him multiple guarantee years, correct? Yeah. I think so. Full like, biannual, two years, six million. Yeah. So I was that like took me aback a little bit, but like they're clearly it's obviously not a huge investment, but to give him just the two guarantee years, I thought that was like a fairly big sign of how confident they are that he can they make an impact. Him. They really do like him. Tim Connolly, uh, Marty Poshis, actually, who was a scout and a front office advisor for the Nuggets, he actually played with him going back to some random, I can't remember which league it was in. Oh, it's going to drive me crazy. I want to say it was Turkey, but I can't remember for sure. But the Nuggets have a scout who actually played with him and they are friends on the team. So, like, that is a part of it that allowed them to know so much about Faku leading all the way up to this point. It's been, like, three years of them talking about trying to get Composite to Denver. Oh, wow. I didn't realize they, they loved, been that long. They've really liked him. And again, it's the like, same thing as like the Rockets have always wanted to bring over Sergio Lowell. Like, yeah, it's been six years of them saying this, never got it done. Denver did with with, with Facundo. The, so, Bobo, <laughs> do you see him like kind of looking at the Nuggets depth chart now? It feels like there's a chance he could become part of the backup five rotation, but is that possible? Because I also, from what I've seen in the quotes coming out of training camp, Isaiah Hartenstein clearly believes that he's getting minutes. Uh, 
I don't know how I feel about that. Like I'm just the Nuggets love Isaiah Hartenstein. They think that there is so much untapped potential there that has not been able to shine because of his role in Houston, and they really do think that they got a steal on Isaiah Hartenstein. Um, Bull Bull is not a center right now. That is one thing I've been trying to tell people whenever Bull Bull comes up. You need to toss out the idea of Bull Bull playing center minutes. Unless you're playing a zone for 10 minutes around him, he is not playing center. Kenny, he can't really play the four, though. Like, I feel like that's three. You want to get weird? Let's get weird. I was talking to Tim Connolly on the Brooklyn courtside seats before a game, um, and he joked. I was talking about Bull Bull, and he goes, I was like, you know, what is? what can he play? He's not a center. He can't defend bigger power forwards. Like, what the hell? And he goes, why not small forward? And, like, both me and Brendan Vogt, who works for DNVR out here, kind of, like, chuckled. Tim didn't chuckle. Tim, Tim believes he could play small forward. So then the bubble happens, and the, and the, the prelims, ex, whatever they call exhibition games, he was actually able to defend small forwards. And it wasn't because he was so mobile and loose. He's so long closing out to shooters, he can take one step from the paint and block your three-point jumper. That opened my eyes up to a whole new reality of what Bull Bull can be. There is a chance that they just let Bull Bull stand one step outside the paint on his side of the floor, take one step, and close out. That's all he's got to do as a small forward on the weak side. And it makes me so curious what this can look like. Of course, you can just run pick and rolls at him. There's a million ways that you can counter it. But I, I do think, with especially with how thin they are on the wing, there's a chance Bull Bull plays legitimate small forward minutes, like not in the rotation, but as like a fail safe. So you think we actually see it? And then my, my follow up question would be, you think he actually, because you, he doesn't, he can shoot over the top of anyone. So he doesn't necessarily need to do too much, but you think he has the ball skills to like actually log time at the oh, three at the other end? Yes. Um, his handles, his passing and his shooting are fine. I have, Literally no concerns with that on at the NBA level right now. It's everything else. It's you know, can he turn his hips? Is he able to like keep up with guys in the in the in actual transition defense and actually get back quick enough? It's things like that that are more concerning for me. But no, his handles are there. His passing and vision are there. His shooting ability. I was told he might be the best shooter on the roster. So like, th- there is something to it. So what is the, what's the backup five rotation right now? Like, is this going to be, we'll see more Millsap there this year? Uh, maybe we'll see I Green we'll there see as well? I, I don't think we'll see much Green there. Uh, well, I guess I'll say it this way. Whoever doesn't start at power forward will get both backup power forward and backup center minutes. So whether it's Jermichael Green or Paul Millsap starting, the other will probably get six to eight minutes at backup center to play small and the bulk of the backup power forward minutes. So... Other than that, though, it's Isaiah Hartenstein's role, I think. That is what wow. I'm starting to pick up on. They really are excited about what he can bring to the table. I would actually prefer to see, like, Greed, Millsap, minutes in tandem um, than Hartenstein, just minimally of what I've seen from him. But I guess if they're that confident, like, there's – it's going to have to be – if they're – if so, Bobo's not a five, if that's what we're just saying, which is – I get, totally get that. Like, it has to be then. Like, Hartenstein needs to play or it's going to have to be uh, Najee. Like, what – I yeah. That – I don't know, like, those options for a team that's... I know Nicole Jokic lets... You know, Nicole Jokic has been durable. He plays a lot. But, like, the, you could still lose games in the 10 to 13 minutes that he's just not on the court, which is, like, what we've seen with other teams. And so the backup five rotation for them still feels like it's semi-pivotable. And I guess they're not... It doesn't sound like they're committed to try, like, doing any one thing there. That's interesting. No. And what's really interesting, too, is that back at Rio Grande Valley in the G League when Monte Morris was there, guess who his center was? Isaiah Hartenstein. They called themselves the best pick and roll duo in the G League. They have played together tons of time. We're talking like 25, 30 games of experience together in addition to practice time. 
And that to me, like there is truly something that is there. They think that Isaiah Hartenstein can be a mobile big who can defend on the perimeter, can eventually stretch his shot out to three point range and a guy who can give you just tons of energy, like limitless, endless amounts of energy on the backup end of your center position. So I like the pickup, especially at the minimum. That's a win. Well, at the yeah. Minimum. Um, sure. But yeah, I don't think that we're going to see a whole lot of Paul Millsap or Jermichael Green at the five. If we do, um, it'll be bursts to be able to play small for a second as a counter, as opposed to like part of your rotation. That's really, I thought like the Clippers should have went to that more with Green, like during the second units in the playoffs. So maybe that's something that becomes more valuable in the postseason for them. I think I that was no more valuable specifically against the Nuggets because there was no one that you, like they didn't have anybody to match up with Nikola. So they were like, all right, let's get someone who's more mobile, more perimeter oriented to get Nikola Jokic out of place defensively. So like, I don't know how much of that was uh, useful for the Nuggets as, a, as opposed to a counter for the Nuggets because of what they presented to them. Well, I think the Clippers, by doing it, um, they like made the Warrior series competitive the year before in the first round, and I think they, they should have went like for it harder um, in their Maverick series. Like I, I just thought they underutilized. I mean, Jermichael Green stand over you. here. That's the problem. By the way, I'm with you on this. If it was me coaching the team, I would be doing this. Like I very much so like playing big, you know, strong, bigger, old school power forwards at center off the bench to play smaller and faster, grab offensive rebounds and just run. Like I really value that type of bench unit play, but I just don't think the Nuggets are going to go that route. This might be an easy question. What ends up being, and it'll, I know it'll be matchup based to some extent, but what ends up being like the most common or most effective closing unit for this team so uh, and again this is very early so i'm still playing with this a lot but right now my thought is jamal murray will barton michael porter jr jamichael green nicole Jokic. You're That's so what green I'm, over Millsap in those situations. Yes. Wow. I'm looking at green over Millsap as a starter in general. Like almost anything that you bring to me as like, which one would you like to have more of? Like Jermichael Green is my answer. And that is not a shot at Paul Millsap. Jermichael Green has a lot more skills he can bring to this Nuggets team than he has shown on other teams. And I fully believe that his fit and honestly his youth compared to Paul Millsap is a really important addition. Like Paul Millsap has aged. I mean, Paul Millsap will tell you that. He also feels great and he'll say that, but he can't do the same things that he once did. Like in the Utah series, he can't check the roller and then get back to the three-point line to defend a three-point shot. Jermichael Green can. And that is just something that you can't do at that age for Paul Millsap right now, which is why I give Jermichael Green the edge. Yeah, he did seem like he picked up a little bit in the uh, Lakers series, but I don't know if that was a product of how the Lakers play. Like that might have benefited Millsap. So the Jazz loved relocating their shooters on the weak side as the action on the strong side happened, which made Paul Millsap have to take a beat to refine his the guy that he's defending to get out to the perimeter. The Lakers didn't do much of that. There wasn't as much off-ball like nuance to their ability to attack them. So Paul Millsap knew he was just going to the corner against the Lakers. It wasn't, oh, Joe Ingles just slowly waded his way up the wing, and now I can't get there. So that's kind of the difference in those two series in my eyes. You might have already tipped your hand here because it sounds like you want to see Bobo at the three but is there a quirky lineup where if you were in charge of the team or mike malone said hey you could just pick our pick this five-man unit i'm gonna roll it out right now is there one that you would just like to see them test out at some point this year uh yes yes there is jamal murray facundo Campazzo, michael porter jr bull bull nicole Jokic. give it to me give me all of the offensive passing shooting chaos mess that i can have like there's a mismatch everywhere you can do whatever you want with that group. Like, you can run four or five pick and rolls at Bull Bull and Nikola Jokic. You can run three, four pick and rolls at Michael Porter and Bull Bull. You can do any sort of combination with either of your guards. Like, 
the fun and the limitless potential of the offensive game plan with that group is just so exciting to me, and I would love to see them play. I wonder if Mike Malone would resign on the spot if he was told he had to play that lineup. <laughs> I'm drinking water, and I definitely felt it get towards my nose and almost come out from laughing there. Um, Michael Malone would explode. I love Michael Malone to death. That is not how he wants to play basketball. Like Michael Malone is much closer to like the 2015-16 Grizzlies than he is to that version right. of basketball. Like this is like no way that I'm seeing that work out. We kind of touched on this like tangentially before, but the Nuggets still feel like they're built for some sort of move just because they have like salary that could be matched elsewhere. Um, they do have, um, they've only traded one future first round pick. You still have RJ Hampton sitting there. I guess they could include um, MPJ, but they have some nice non-MPJ assets as well when you look at Bol Bol and even Monte Morris. Do you see them trying to, not necessarily pulling it off, but trying to be aggressive at the trade deadline to go out and maybe get that body um, that they're now missing without Jeremy Grant, or is that, you know, they might just hang their hats on maybe getting lucky in the buyout market. Like maybe Trevor Reese is floating around out there at some point as well and come to Denver or something like that. So I do think that they saved part of their biannual exception for the buyout market. That would make so much sense to me because they didn't use the whole thing. So I do expect that to be at least on the table. Also, that Denver be, will make every call. That would be a wep- a real weapon with Ariza, who I, as a as a player, I appreciate because he's been like a true mercenary where it's like, you know what? I'm going to get paid here and I'll figure out a way to get to another team later. And that's I, a one year, like $10 million deals that he's got right. is incredible. <laughs> he's playing for like seven. He had to, at one point this off season, forget who he was playing for or which yeah. team he was on, which is OKC apparently, allegedly. <laughs> No, my favorite thing was people were playing this game on their podcast, Justin Russo was, where I was like, who does Trevor Ariza play for? And it was like a trivia game during the offseason. That was funny. No one got it right. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, though, I don't know if Denver would trade any assets to get a um, a placeholder for Jeremy Grant. You have to be talking about a legitimate um, near star level player or a like, superstar in your role. Cause again, Jeremy Grant at like 12 and five is not like a superstar, but he was exactly the type of player in that role that you wanted. So if they can find someone like that, which let's be honest, I don't know of a one, I don't know of a single person that I would Especially, trade. So many of them were like actually moved this off season where it's like the ones that you could envision being available. Okay. Jay Crowder's now on what should be a good team. So unless Phoenix flops, it's not going to be Jay Crowder. Josh Richardson was just traded to Dallas. And so unless Let's say Kristaps is just unhealthy. They're worried about cap space next year, and they don't want to resign him when he opts out. He's not going to be available. Uh, Covington was just sent to the Blazers, and they gave up two firsts for him. They're not moving Kelly him. Kelly Bray in the exact same boat going to Golden State. Like, there aren't players that Denver can just go get. And that's why when people start asking me about, like, future moves, I'm like, listen, unless, they, unless Bradley Beal's available, I don't see a whole lot of, like, shakeup at this point. And they have seven new dudes in their roster right now anyway. Like, do the Nuggets really want to have even more turnover on that roster? Like, no, it's not your top end of your rotation, but, like, that is still impactful to your overall team complexion. So I really do like, – the only way I see Denver going all in is if, is if a guy of, you know, Bradley Beal's ilk becomes available. But I don't see them trading for – Serge Ibaka, who finally is able to be traded. You know what I mean? Right. Like, that just isn't going to fit for what Denver is looking for, especially if you send Monte Morris and Will Barton to do it. Like, I just don't see it. The, so, so you see, I guess it would be more likely for them to go all in on a blockbuster than to go out and try and find, like, someone to fill the the role that they lost with Jeremy Grant. Because there just aren't enough players out there who are available for the right price to be able to get that like that. There just aren't. The one I thought about, and it doesn't work like by itself, but like if you get to a point, um, the framework would be Gary Harris for Harrison Barnes. I, I don't think that would. I, uh, 
are you adding enough defensively with Harrison Barnes? And is he his style of play, you know, the Kobe-esque, I'm going to get my shot off the bounce, going to fit within this Nuggets team construct? I think he's done, since Dallas made him that player after yeah, he left Golden State, and fair. I feel like he's done a lot better of a job balancing that out in Sacramento. And if he's willing to do that in Sacramento, um, he's going to be willing That's to do fair. that when he plays next to That's Jokic. a really good point. It's a really good point. But again, that contract's big, too. Um I don't know. I don't like it on the surface. I haven't looked into it enough. That might be something I'm just not thinking about right now. But on the surface, like, does that move the needle for you? I don't think it does. Not, or maybe it does a little bit. Not enough to put you back into that contender t- category. Not to put you with the Lakers and the Clippers. Like, that's not where you end up from that kind of a move. Yeah, I mean, so he's three years, 68.8. Um, Harris is two years, 40, basically. So it's the extra year. I think where the concern is is you probably at this point would trust Barnes more so at the four spot where you're not hard up for talent than you would as like the three. Like Jeremy Grant was like, you could put him anywhere. Barnes doesn't have like that malleability. But that was, I think that's the trouble though. Is like that's the move. Um, Josh Richardson would have been my favorite addition for this team more so than Rocco. That was mine as well because you can put him at the two. Like you actually have size, athleticism, and defensive versatility at the at the shooting guard position for the first time since Nikola Jokic has been in Denver. Like they just never have had that kind of a wing in the backcourt. Um, I, I that's something that I very much so would have liked. Uh, and he's like the Heat at least Philly didn't use him like this. He was defending one through four when he was yeah. in Miami, which is just wild. So, what's a um, realistic win total and Western Conference standing finish for this team. You can give me the 82-game equivalent. I have the formula lined up right here <laughs> so I can plug it in. Yeah, I had 47 with the with like not, not on an 82-game schedule, on a 72-game schedule. I was hovering right around 46 to 48 wins. Okay, so if they were 46, that's the equivalent of 52 wins, so 52 to 53, which yeah. it feels right because, like I said, it feels like this team might be just as good during the regular season. It's... I feel like where we're going to see it gets worse if no moves are made is during the playoffs, if that makes any sense. It would be really funny if Denver had it their, like, what, sixth straight season of, like, a 50-plus win rate where, like, you know, again, if there's 82 games, you would have won 50 kind of thing, and they still lose in the first round of the Phoenix Suns in the 4-5 matchup. Like, that's the most Nuggets thing I can conceive of in my brain. So, like, that's kind of how I'm viewing this team right now. They're a good team that can be a top-four seed who is probably going to lose pretty damn quick in the playoffs because they don't have that upside. There's, and I think... Their ceiling would be um, standings-wise. I think you could argue first, but it feels like second oh, yeah. would be realistic because I feel like one of the Lakers or Clippers are just going to stumble into being dominant. Um, I don't know that they'll care enough about the regular season. So there's a scenario where it's like, well, the Clippers and the Lakers really don't care, and the Nuggets are kind of built for the regular season, and they have the one seed. So they, they have like – and then below that, like one through six this year, or let's say one through five to six because the Rockets will probably blow up, I'm assuming – they yeah. feel like almost interchangeable at this point yeah. in the West, which is part of the yeah. madness. For sure. And again, there's always the aspect that all of these teams in the top half of the Western Conference just got back from the bubble. So, like, they're not going to be going all in for the first, you know, six weeks of the season anyway. They're going to get their recovery in. Like, I don't anticipate the Nuggets playing any of their starters through more than three quarters. You know what I mean? Like, that's just kind of where they're at right now. And I, I do wonder how that skews a lot of these conversations. We just don't know how these teams are going to manage the ridiculously short offseason that they just had. Yeah, we're talking about, like, expectations, and it's like there might just be scheduled rest nights for guys who would normally, you know, murder their coaches if they rested. Like, if the the Blazers might rest Dame, like, if he's not injured. No, like, that Jamal could actually Murray happen. has never said he wants to rest. He has actively pushed back and hates the idea. Like, my vision of Jamal Murray resting is him being handcuffed to a table, not able to leave. Even he was like, listen, man, if there's some rest I can get in the first half of the season, I'm going to take it. Like... <laughs> 
Because that's where these guys are at, though. Like, that's a lot to bear, especially when you're playing at this level of competition, just had two 3-1 comebacks, and then lost in the Western Conference Finals in dramatic fashion. Like, that's a lot to come back from that quickly. Yeah, uh, I still can't believe they raised two 3-1 deficits. That's just, that's amazing. Um, and the fact that an anecdote in the past now, because we've had to move so first, fast. <laughs> first of all, it feels like a zillion years ago, because not only, like, it feels like time has at once sped up and slowed down at the same time where it feels like an eternity ago that it was March, but like, how is this year not over yet type deal? Um, is there anything that I missed that you feel we need to talk about? Um, anything that you want to get off your chest now that we did not cover? I don't think so. I think we, I think we've covered most of it. Normally I have something that's been running through my brain, but I think we covered it, man. Hey, I was worried we were going to be too cookie cutter. So I appreciate that. Do we need a Nicole Jokic's nuptials? Maybe those, I want to know what that wedding was like. Nicole Jokic's wedding, which was hysterical, by the way. I had a Serbian newspaper reach out to me in my Twitter DMs in Serbian trying to explain to me that Jokic got married so I could put it on Twitter. Uh, it's so funny how like invested the Serbian community is in every last little thing Nikola Jokic does. I will say this. There's three things that Nikola Jokic cares about in this world. His girlfriend, music, and horses. And he got all of those things in his wedding, so I'm very happy for Nikola Jokic. That is all that I care about. Uh, the video of him like riding um, the what is Dreamcatcher? Yeah, <laughs> Bella Marguerite and Dreamcatcher are his two horses back out in Serbia. Um, that's fantastic. Um, TJ, thank you so much for giving me a bunch of your time. If you guys are not following TJ on Twitter, remedy that immediately. Particularly if you're listening to this on his podcast feed uh, and not Hardwood Knox. <laughs> he is at TJ McBride MBA. That's at TJ M C B R I D E M B A. He is the host of the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast for blue wire pods and you can also find his writing all over the place now which i'm sure he'll be bumping on twitter when it's all published oh yeah um love talking hoops with you man i appreciate you really coming on this was fun and rest assured i will be bothering you again at some point in the future and i will be bothering you as well as the business podcast keeps getting bigger and bigger so i'm very very happy to have been here to talk some hoops and just chop it up for a little bit it's always fun thanks again tj take care have a good one man Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads to totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on the season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures every single day. Head to Bet Online today and take full advantage of the great signup bonuses. And don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts.
thank you all again for sticking around and supporting the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast. It means so much that you guys are always doing this and always doing what you can to be able to share this show. I keep seeing more and more reviews on iTunes, which is awesome. So go to Apple Podcasts, keep leaving a five-star review and write a little comment in there. I read them all and it's really cool to be able to hop in there once a week, once every few days and see someone else who loves the show. So if you do love the show and you want to take that time to go check it out, please do. That's really, really appreciated. Also, go subscribe to Rocky Mountain Hoops wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Stitcher or this or that. Anywhere you listen to it except for Mile High Sports. The show is no longer on Mile High Sports. I wanted to remind people. So if you've been getting it there, it is no longer there. Please, please, please go subscribe wherever you just listen, you listen to other podcasts. Thank you to Dan Favale. Again, at Dan, F-A-V-A-L-E on Twitter. You can go find his podcast, Hardwood Knox, on the Blue Wire Podcast Network himself. He also does social for Blue Wire, and he writes for Bleacher Report. Guy is a jack of all trades, and I had an absolute blast being able to talk with him about hoops. So check him out. Thank you to Indeed. Thank you to Bet Online. Go subscribe to the Freddy Adu documentary, American Prodigy. And thank you again for supporting the show and listening. We'll be back with more for Wednesday's show. And until then, keep being safe, keep wearing a mask, and we will talk to you guys later.